so you take that hammer and you choose to take that hammer and you begin to chip that rock, chip that rock, chip that rock. Well, it doesn't seem like much is happening, but every time you hit that rock, there's a little piece of stone that flies off this way, flies off that way, flies off. You got your safety goggles on and everything. You're looking really cool. And you're chipping this thing off and there's rock pieces flying everywhere. And before you realize it, you get to this thing and all of a sudden this big rock becomes a little rock. And it becomes a little rock, big, small enough. You just bend down, you pick it up, and you just toss it off to the side. And then you get to go through that path. And the fullness that was intended for you on that path, it is, it is present. So this is why I say this. I use this analogy for this purpose. Because I think that sometimes, I'm certain of it, I don't think it, I'm certain of it. I'm certain that there are too many times that when we are moving through life and we're, especially in the kingdom of God, when we're hearing a word, preachers are really bad about this, if they can be bad about this. And that is they move from one thing to the next thing so fast that the last thing didn't set in. It didn't have time to produce anything. No one got an understanding of what it was. No one understood what it was. No one got, had a chance to let that word begin to work in them. It wasn't changing anything. And, but I'm thankful for the times when Holy Spirit gives us something that we stay in for a while like this, the rise of suns. I don't know how many weeks we've been doing this now, five or six, and we're going to continue to do it until I feel like, he's, until I feel like it's changed who we are. And when it's changed who we are, then wonderful. I've I got to tell you this. I've shared this story before. Um, but I'll tell you this. It's a story about the guy that preached John 3.16 over and over again. How many have heard me tell this story? You've heard me tell it a lot. I used to say it all the time when I was evangelizing, traveling all over the place. But there's a story of a guy, evangelist, that went to a church. And he, first service, he stood up in front of the church. And he said to the people, he said, turn with me to John 3.16. They turned to John 3.16. He preached his message. He sat down, went home. The next night he came back to church. He stood up. and the pastor turned the service over to him. He went over and he stood behind the pulpit. And he said, would everybody turn to John 3.16? The pastor looks over at the people sitting on the platform with him and kind of an awe, just wondering what in the world's going on. And the guy preaches John 3.16, exactly what he preached the night before. And service was over. The pastor said to him, said, do you realize you preached the same thing? He said, yes, sir, I did. Next night he gets there. The pastor introduces the, the evangelist. He comes up and he stands behind the pulpit. And, he, and the, the evangelist says to the people, he said, would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to John 3.16? And then the pastor stands up and he says, sir, he said, do you realize that this is the third night in a row that you've preached John 3.16? And he said, yes, sir, I do realize that. And I also know this. When they get the first message, I'll move on to the second. So point being this. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we will move from one thing to the next without giving opportunity for the seed that's been sown in the first to do its work so that the second can make any sense at all. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? So in this series of messages that Holy Spirit's given me, He really stirred me up about this, the idea of the rise of suns. And, and I can tell you, if I believe, let me start it with this. Today we're going to talk about a culture shift. But let me start it with this. If, if I believe that I am, well, let me say it this way. How many believe you're a child of God in this room? Now, how many of you believe that you are a son of God in this room? How many of you that believe that you're a child of God? Let me see how I can word this because I don't want you to misinterpret me. And you can follow along in your notes. This is what I'm doing right now is not in your notes, but you can follow along on the app. The notes that I'm using today will be in there, most of them, some of them few of them. But how many believe that as a child of God, if you're a child of God, 
that you are full of sin. Or you have sin. You are a sinner. Per, you are sinful. How many believe, if you're a child of God, and nobody's going to raise their hand because you've heard this. How many believe you're sinful? Well, this analogy is not going to work if somebody doesn't raise their hand. Somebody needs to be sinful this morning. Thank you. We have two sinful people. So, but those two things don't go together. Because I cannot be free from sin. When I become a child of God and I'm free from sin, I cannot be a sinner and a child of God at the same time. It's not possible. I'm not going to hang out here a long time. If there's a message I preached a while back, you can go back and listen to. See, someone who believes only that they're a child of God and doesn't understand sonship. I'm a believer. But they don't understand what it is to be a son. It's one thing to say, I'm a believer, so he's freed me from my sins. Sort of, because I still believe I'm a sinner, so um, people are confused about that. I don't believe that, but people do. So when you're simply a believer, you lose sight of all that is available to you as a son. A lot of believers that are in the kingdom of God today believe under the banner of slavery, under the banner of law, under the banner of fear. Under the banner of, man, if I don't do this right, God, he's really going to be mad at me. And they live, I'm a believer, man, i got to do everything right because if I don't, what I don't want God to do is to, to judge me. Everything is about judgment. It's always about judgment. Instead of saying, I want to honor him, and in honoring him, even when I do wrong because I honor him, my heart is to honor him, he's not looking to judge me, he's looking to bless me. He's not looking to tear me down, he's looking to build me up. Am I making sense? So what I want to do through this series, my hope is through this series, is to transform our mind. The way that we think, the way that we see things, the way that we interpret things. I want us to begin to see we're not just believers. You're not just a believer. Turn to the person beside you and say you're not just a believer. And they really might not be. But say you're not just a believer. Or at least that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to be a son. See, if you come to the table and you have a slave or law mentality, then you sense every time you're always afraid of, even Paul references it in some scripture, we won't get that far in it today, but there's scripture where Paul references and he says, you know what, he says, listen, I became aware of sin because of the law. It's because of law. Before the law was, I didn't even know when I was sinning. But when law was introduced, suddenly sin, I became aware of sin. It caused me to see something beyond itself. So I'm thankful for the law in that. It made me aware that there were parts of me that were separate from God. But I'm also thankful for the Spirit of God that then transcended and took me past the law so that I could become a son. So I was not law-based, but I, was relationship, I became a man that was relationship-based. So I want to today continue this series, The Rise of Sons, and, and I want you to understand why, because of this. If we do not know to whom we belong, then we will wander through life aimlessly. There are a lot of believers, even in this room, under the sound of my voice right now, that wander aimlessly from Sunday to Sunday. Throughout this week, you wander, you go to church, you get your fix, then you get up Monday morning and you go through your week, you're doing your thing, and you're just, I just want to get through this. I just want to get through this. What happens, though? When I come and I hear a word and I allow it to begin to impregnate my mind and my spirit and begin to change me. 
And I hear that word, and then I walk out, and I begin to give attention to that word, and that word continues to change me. It continues to do a miraculous work in me. And when I get up tomorrow, I'm not looking for, uh, you know, it might work, it might not work, but I'm saying, you know what, I am looking for an opportunity to allow God to show how great He is through me. Are you hearing me today? So if we don't know who we are, we wander through life aimlessly because we don't know where to put our hat. If this house isn't mine, is it okay if I put my hat on the hat rack? Is it okay if, if, if I don't belong here? You know what? I passed through this thing on Sunday. I passed through this whole kingdom thing on Sunday. So when I pass through, though, I realize that somebody else's house is not really my kingdom. I think it is. You know, I, I identify with some things in there, but it's really, it, yeah, you know what? It's, it's, it, you know what? I'm not sure that it, it, me and it fit. And you go through there. And so you go throughout the week, and you never have, you never, you're never rooted. So you aimlessly live your life. Yeah. Believing, hoping. Oh, hoping, hoping with everything that's in you. Hoping with so much passion within you. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope that God loves me. I hope that, I hope that God will forgive me for this. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope that, that God will overlook this. I hope that God has long forgotten about what I did last Tuesday. Because I don't know who I am, then my hope is, I, my, I, I, all I hope is that God forgets, not that God remembers that He sent me to do some miraculous things. My hope is always that He looks past things, not enables me to look into things. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So as sons, we're called to make a mark on this world, and not just any mark, but the mark of a son. The mark of a son, and there's a very big difference. And I want to begin today by reading in Romans chapter 8. Let's go there together. You can go there on your app, or you can follow along on the screen, or you can go there in your Bible, however you choose to do that, you can do that today. But Romans chapter 8, I'm going to begin with verse 14 and read through 17. And it says this. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, everybody say, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know, I mean, that right there, I mean, I could stop right there. We could just leave off 15, 16, and 17 and just hang out right here at 14 for a little bit because that by itself says so much. All who are led by the Spirit of God. The key there is that. All who are led, Sam, by the Spirit of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God. All who are led, not by my fears that He's holding this against me, He's holding that against me, to worry about, you know, what did I do then? What am I doing now? What am I going to do tomorrow? The, the weight that so many people, even under the sound of my voice right now in this room or watching online, you are the weight that you carry to try to please God in your mind is unbearable. It's impossible to carry. You can't carry it. Everything about you is, I, I, I want to please God. I want to please God, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to read this many scriptures a day. I'm going to pray for this, this many hours a day. This, I'm, going to, I'm going to be here, and i got to make sure I don't miss one single event that the church has because I want, you know, just this overwhelming sense of all that you have to do to please God. And all the while, the Father's saying, you know what I want you to do to please me? I just I, recognize me. Honor me. Even if you're not at the event at the church, wherever, whatever event you're at, even if it's watching Hallmark on Saturday night, on your recliner, in your bonus room, honor me. You honor me. You talk about me. You recognize that I'm in all of your moments, not just in the moments that you're doing legal things. Legal and like law, by uh, religious law. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> Track with me. So for all who are led by, everybody say all who are led. All who are led. 
by the Spirit of God. Our sons of God. So, you know, let me just give depth to this, and hopefully I can get through all this today, but let me just give depth to this little statement right here. How many of you can raise your hand and say that God has led you to disaster? <laughs> he led you to disaster. He led, how many, he led you to calamity? How many of you in this room, he led you to the edge of a cliff and let you keep going until you fell off? You know what he leads you to? Everything about him, all he knows is life. He leads you to life. He leads you to strength. He leads you to healing. He leads you to peace. He leads you to hope. He leads you to passions. That's what he does. That's what he does. He's not looking for a way to get you to stumble. He's looking for a way to get you to rise up. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we are also heirs. Everything that belongs to Him also belongs to us. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided if then we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, recognizing, suffering with him, recognizing what he went through so that we could live. I accept that he went through that. I believe that he went through that, that he was obedient even unto death so that we could come to the Father. So I did this thing on culture shift. Will you put that slide up, uh, Shavit, please? A culture shift happens when someone is changed so much by a deep revelation or passion that it influences the choices of others until the revelation that came becomes the norm. So today that's what I'm talking about, a culture shift. And I can tell you the way that we change culture is when we begin to do exactly what Paul said in Romans, when we are led by the Spirit of God and become heirs of His. We then become sons of God. Sons of God. It's one thing for me to go into a place and say, you know what, I'm employed by, I don't know, let's use, I don't know what to use. Let's use the police department. I'm employed by the police department. And I go in and I have some authority that the police department has given me. But I don't have all authority. I don't have all authority. But if you go in and you say, listen, I'm a son of whoever. I have all authority because they've given me authority because I've honored them and I am of them. And because I am of them, that person or those persons, because I am of them, I come in with all authority. So in order for X to happen, I can approve it or disapprove it. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And I'll make, it'll make more sense in just a moment when we get to the next scripture. But if I'm only employed and I do not see myself as a son, I see myself as one who is given a paycheck if I do certain things, not as one who doesn't need a paycheck, because all that is His is mine. The reward isn't monetary. It isn't in bits and pieces. It is in the fullness of. Are you hearing me this morning? So a culture shift is what we need in the earth today. And what we need not only in the earth... In fact, I believe this. I don't believe it will happen in the earth until it happens in the church. 
world, in the church body, body of Christ. And that culture shift has got to be one where we are, our mind is transformed out of this sense of slavery in a sinful life, a legalistic existence, into a place where it is relational. Where everything that happens, I am in relationship with Him. I know that I am in my Father and my Father is in me. And because of that, what I know is even in moments that don't make sense, I'm safe. There are a lot of people under my voice, sound of my voice right now, you don't feel safe. You feel like He's judging you and holding things over you and has been holding things over you. You don't even know if He will ever forgive you for those things. I'm going to tell you. If you come to the table and you believe you don't have a place at the table and you're not sure why you're sitting there, those feelings will remain. But when you come to the table because you know you have a place at the table... Because you're part of the family and you're a son. Those feelings will not remain. Because the father that is at the end of the table is not going to say, give everybody a round of turkey except for the one that's sitting on the corner. They haven't deserved it yet, but the father's going to say, equal portions for everyone. If it's mine, it's theirs. So we've got to have a culture shift. And it happens when someone is changed so much by a deep revelation or passion that it influences the choices of others until that revelation that came becomes the norm. Think about these different types of cultural revolutions. I remember I was telling somebody, you know, my wife and I own this coffee shop called Mahogany. And when I think about this little thing, and when I first started, not long ago, even Nation's Cafe, when they started doing Nation's Cafe back here and, and they asked about doing iced coffee, See, man, I was like, why? See, my generation. I don't like to say it that way because that makes (laughs) I'd say my generation, when our coffee got cold, we threw it away or we nuked it. We put it in, it never had ice in it. We put it in the microwave, we threw it away, we ordered another one. That's my generation. Then suddenly, somebody, somewhere, had this idea. I don't like hot coffee. I'm putting ice in it. They put ice in their coffee, they sit down somewhere and they're drinking that iced coffee and somebody comes over and sits down and says, man, there's ice in your coffee. I know, but I don't like it hot. I like my coffee cold. I know I'm an odd one. I'm an odd duck. I'm a strange duck. I'm out of character for everybody. It's totally different. But you know what? I, I, just, I just really don't like hot coffee, but I've really come to love iced coffee. I thought one day I'll put ice in it, and it was so good. And then that person said, can I try it? It wasn't me that said that, by the way. But they said, can I try it? Yeah, you can try it. You don't mind drinking after me? No, I don't mind at all. it. That's actually pretty good. Well, hold on just a second. They go up to the counter and they walk up there and they say, you know what, can I take a cup of coffee, please? And would you just drop a a little half scoop of ice in there for me, please? And just mix it up real good. What? Somebody else just did that a minute ago. I know. And did you try it? No, I didn't try it, but I tried theirs. I went over and said, no, I tried it. It's so good. You've got to try it. What do you mean? There's no way I'm drinking iced coffee. That stuff, that's not even right. It's not how you make coffee. There's a reason. That it has a little hot button on there. (laughs) Who makes a cup of coffee that says, with printed on the bottom of it, beware, your hands might freeze holding this cup. (laughs) Not legally responsible. 
And then they say, they see these people walk out of the coffee shop, and then this guy says to the other person, the other barista that's in there, said, man, these people came in, and they ordered iced coffee. It's the craziest thing. I've never even heard of such a thing. Man, let's try it. And they get back there, and they make up their little coffee, and they put a little scoop of ice in there, and they're, oh, man, that's really not bad. And then they tell the owner of the coffee shop, and the owner of the coffee shop says, what are you talking about? Nobody drinks iced coffee. Well, two people did today. We could be at the beginning of something big. Yeah, but that's, that's strange. That's odd. Why? I mean, you're taking a risk. You put that on the menu, you're really taking a risk. So, but he did. He gave in, and he said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's put it up there. Let's call it, let's be creative, <laughs> iced coffee. Yeah, cold brew. They put it up on the menu, and somebody comes in. Man, what is that? What is iced coffee? What is that? What, you, what is that? Well, you know, it's this new thing. I know it's different, but it's this new thing. And I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's until you've tried it, you don't know whether you're really going to like it. And one person tries it. Me, I come in, I try it. And I'm like, it's not coffee. Another person comes in, drinks it. Oh my I don't have my phone in my pocket. Get my phone out. Man, listen, you got to come to this place because they just served up something. It's bizarre. It's crazy. You're not even going to believe it. I mean, I know when I say it, you're going to think I've lost my mind, but just trust me. You got to come by here today. Please, can you get by here? What time can you come? I'll meet you here. Oh, at three o'clock. Okay, I'll meet you here at three. And then you're going to try this iced coffee. We're going to drink this iced coffee. And when you sip that thing, tell me what you think because I had it today. It's amazing. I can't wait to meet you here at 3 see what you think. They come at 3. They get some iced coffee. They drink that iced coffee, and it just blows their mind. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. They take a picture of it put it on Instagram. Look what we had today. We had iced coffee. All the comments under Instagram are, what in the world is that? It's more colorful. But what is that? What's iced coffee? Nobody drinks iced coffee. Yeah, it's iced coffee. It's incredible. Try this at X place. And they go to X place. Somebody else goes. Somebody else goes. Somebody else goes. Suddenly, it's all over the world. Ice coffee. So they're telling me out there one day, they're saying, you know what, we need to offer iced coffee. I said, it's not my generation doesn't do that. We throw it out. It's bad. If it's iced, it's bad. Tea's iced. Coffee's hot. Just try it. Sam told me. So just try it one time. Just try it one time. Put a little bit of vanilla stuff in it. Just try it. Brought me a little iced coffee. I drank it and I was like. I didn't take pictures and put it on Instagram. But I was like. That really is good. And you know what I found myself doing? I'd go into Mahogany, and Sydney was managing, and I'd go in there, and I'd say, Sydney, same thing. I'd take a vanilla iced coffee. Didn't even drink it hot. It was crazy. I did have my hot portion, though, because I'd start in the morning with a hot one and then end about whenever with an iced one. But you know what's happened? It's become part of a culture. They've completely flipped a culture. Now when you go and you order hot coffee, everybody's like, they're old. They'll catch up. Same thing we said about all of y'all. Now you're saying, yeah, they'll catch up. And then one day, you know, when I was a kid, too, I remember, you know, of course, I remember back in a time when even to get the time on the, you know, now you can look at your phone, you can find out what time it is. But back in the day, some of you will remember, the only way you get the time is to call the time, and, time number on your phone. You pick up a phone in your house or wherever you were and dial a number, and it would say, at the time, at the tone, the time will be. Oh, now I know what time it is. But I remember even then, and I'll just give you some examples. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, and you'd get these jeans. And, and mine was always, I would, mine would be Sears Roebuck Slim, 
and we get those Sears Roebuck jeans. I don't even think there is a Sears Roebuck anymore. But we get those Sears Roebuck jeans. But you know what? The craziest thing, the craziest thing when I was a kid, even when I was a young adult, the craziest thing happened. I never got jeans with holes in them. (laughs) Nick, they never had holes. And when they did have holes... Someone was quick to stitch them up or put on one of those iron-on patches behind it that made it so you couldn't bend your knee anymore. And then suddenly, someone was like, I'm not throwing these things away. Let's just wash them. And they washed the jeans. And I'm not going to hang out in the holy jeans as long as I did on iced coffee, but they washed the jeans. And then another person says, you know what? That's a cool look. I think I'm going to do that. And they did it. And suddenly... No one has new jeans anymore. (laughs) And I remember the days, I mean, it's just, these are culture things. It's a whole cultural thing. It's a shift that happens where, where somebody has the courage to do the unthinkable. Now, you might think, those of you that are younger today, you might think putting ice in coffee is not like an unthinkable thing. Well, to me, that was... Nobody did. My generation couldn't fathom putting ice in coffee. That's what tea's for. You want it cold? Tea. Unless you're from England. Curling. But it shifts a culture. Changes an attitude. Where suddenly it isn't just one person. It isn't just a good idea on any given day. Where it's fleeting. Where it passes through. But it becomes something that no one can do without. Everybody wants to partake of it. That's when you change a culture. That's when you know you've shifted a culture when everybody wants to partake of it. Everybody. i got to be a part of that. i got to have that. Mom, I've got to have jeans with holes in them. Well, get me some scissors and get me the ones that I bought you last year. And I can tatter them up. But I've got to have coffee with ice in it. Or I've got to, I don't know, you could list a thousand other things. When think Bell-bottom jeans, the hippie culture, long hair. Yeah, five of us are, were there. But these moments that begin, there's something, there's an impetus, there's something that begins this thing that begins to change and begins to shift until... People begin to lay hold of that. In the beginning, it's courageous and, and, and unthinkable for someone to begin to try this brand new thing, Chino, to, to put on these jeans with holes. I'm going to wear these and just see what the reaction is. I remember the first time I wore jeans to preach. Some of you remember it because it happened among you. There was a part of me that felt like you can't do this. And there's another part of me that said, go. And I wondered in my own mind, I'm going to gauge the reaction of the congregation. It wasn't going to matter. It wasn't going to cause me to change what I'm wearing. But I was going to gauge it. And I came in and I watched. And y'all were so acceptable to it. And and it was incredible. You don't understand how big of a moment that was to me. I'd been wearing suits for 30 years. And ties. And I wore those. And now you watch anywhere. People are teaching, preaching, doing whatever. I mean, they got guys in the Senate that are wearing sweats on the sidelines of the NFL. They're wearing hoodies. 
Not suits and ties anymore. But somebody, and it isn't always a good thing. Can we, can we agree on that? I'm not talking about right now whether it's good or bad. I'm just talking about how you shift a culture. It's somebody do, willing to do the unthinkable. Somebody that's willing to stand up for something that they feel any conviction about whatsoever and say, you know what, I, I'm gonna do, I just like my bottom of my pants to cover my entire foot. When my wife and I got married, the big cultural thing, it was, it was, again, it often relates around music and clothing and, and style. And, and my wife, when we married, man, she always wore these bows that were bigger than her head. And everywhere you went, people did this. And, and I think about all these things, and, but there's a shift. There's a, shifting a culture is changing an idea, changing what we identify with. Culture has shifted when you recognize, Daniel, you realize, I want to be a part of something I didn't even know existed moments before. I don't want to be left out of whatever this is that's happening. I've got to be a part of that. And I want to tell you today, that's the story of sons rising up. But we cannot shift and change a culture until being led by the Spirit of God, we have faith and confidence in the Word of God. Not in the religion or denomination or doctrines, but in the Word of God. We have faith and confidence in what it is that He is revealing to us and, and why He created us in the first place. We lay hold of that and we have such strong convictions that our passion and our desire is, I am not going to be a slave, an orphan, or, an, or a vagabond. I choose today to be a son. I'm not going to live in fear, wondering. If I trip up one more time, is he going to kick me? Is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to judge me? I want to live in this joy that when I do well, he rejoices with me. And if I don't do well, he's not judging me. He's made a way for me to be changed. Culture defined in the dictionary is this. It is a set of predominating attitudes and behaviors that characterize a group or a region. Culture isn't something that necessarily happens worldwide. Often it does, but culture is something that is really specific within a group. We can change the culture. This ministry has a culture. All of its own. That doesn't exist. It only exists outside of this group of people because you take it wherever you go. But it is allocated, not imposed, it is available to anyone who is a part of what we're doing and our faithfulness to hear and obey and to trust the Lord. So, if we have a culture in this ministry, we can do this two ways. We can think about how we're going to change the world or we can think about how we're going to change each other and allow this little bitty point in time to become a bigger point in time, to become a bigger point in time, to become a bigger point in time. Because culture is regional usually or within a group, and this is our group, 
my heart and soul is this, is to continue striking at this rock of sonship until every person that calls the rock of Central Florida home and who is coming into this ministry does not see them as one who God is looking to judge, but sees themselves as a son who God is looking to lift up. He's not trying to find a way to diminish you. He's trying to find a way to grow you. And changing a culture in every sense of the word happens one single decision at a time. When I think about the song that we sang this morning, I'm, I'm not gonna, the words are not going to come to me right now, but uh, oh yeah, I pour out all I am. How's, what's the next line? What's the next one? Let the oil drip from my hand. There it is. Holy, holy, holy you are. What's the next line? Wondrous majesty in you. In you. I am complete. I cry holy, holy, holy. If I get that, if I get it, if I get it, if I really believe that, in you I am complete. And that becomes a part of my identity. It will begin to influence and impact those who are around me. Because while they will say, man, I just keep coming up short, I keep doing this, I keep doing that, I'm going to keep saying, you know what, I just got to tell you this. I'm not perfect, but I know in Him, I am complete. And if I can get you to understand that, and then they lay hold of that. What happens too often in the church world, ministry, and when we teach, when we preach, not just in ministry and in anything, whether, whatever it might be, what happens is, Someone will get up and they will share and they'll pour out, they'll teach, they'll preach, they'll whatever you want to call it. And they will share it and, and the hearers will say, man, that's really good. You know, we take notes and we write down those really hot points. Man, I really like that. That's really good. And they'll write that down. My wife does that every week. She'll come and she'll say, man, I wrote these things. And she'll share with me the things that were meaningful to her, deeply meaningful to her. And we do that. And we write those things down, but we, gotta, we have a choice to make. And what happens too often is we walk out and we hear something that's good, man, that the Holy Spirit really wants to impregnate us with. He wants us to become a part of us. Amen. And we hear this thing that is good and then we walk away and we forget what we heard. We remember the words. But we don't align with the spirit of it. We love the words. In you I am complete. I cry holy, holy, holy you are. Wow, those are great words, but it's not just the words. The spirit of it is, in you, I am complete. And I cry, holy. Father, you are holy, and you've created this holy environment that I can exist in and live in as a son. Not just a believer who meanders in on Sunday morning and then meanders out who prays every now and then, usually when I have a challenge in my life. But other than that, uh, we're not really connected. But I'm a son. When you ring the dinner bell, Come on. I'm seated at the table. Yeah. Is anybody hearing me today? Yes. If we hear something and we think only about that thing, wow, that's really good, but we don't get the spirit of that, we will soon forget and not allow that word to germinate within us and bring the change it was sent to bring. Every word. Every word that God sends to you. Every word. 
that he sends to you, whether it's coming through my voice standing behind this pulpit, coming through the voice of your husband, your wife, however it comes to you, in a dream in your sleep, every word that God sends to you is sent on purpose. And it's sent to fulfill something. It's not sent to fill space. It's sent to fulfill purpose. Fully fill your purpose. If we hear His Word and it becomes revelation to us, we'll begin to wrap our lives around it. You've heard me say, those of you that know me, you know, so I won't go into the story in detail, but when I became, when I received Jesus Christ, and I said, forgive me, and I receive you, and use whatever words that I use to repent and to uh, ask Him to change my life completely, I never looked back. Even though I was an infant, When I entered in, even though my mind did not comprehend all that the preacher was going to preach every Sunday, I can tell you that did not change. That this guy was all in. There was a sense in me from day one. I am complete in you. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're doing it, I'm doing it too. I believe the nature of my life is, if God is doing it and I believe He's doing it, Steve Parker's doing it too. The nature of this ministry is, if He's doing it, we're doing it too. It doesn't matter if He's not doing it somewhere else. What matters is, if He's doing it, we're doing it too. It doesn't matter if it's never been done before. What matters is, if He's doing it, we're doing it too. If he's talking about it, we're talking about it too. When it becomes revelation to us, and when I came to Christ and I was in that choir room and I came out of there, man, it became revelation to me. He does love me. This one that I've never met outside of believing that something supernatural. I didn't feel goosebumps. I didn't see a cloud. I didn't feel shaky or tremors or light or woo. I, I didn't sense the glory of the Lord. I felt exactly the same after I received Him as I did before, except my passions changed. Prior, one minute before, I wanted to please me. And one minute later, I wanted to please Him. So the consequences of not understanding what sonship is, is making void the Word, and I'm going to add this in there, and the power of God. There's a weak church in the world today. You know why the church is weak? You know why the church is declining? I've said this before. But you know why it's declining? It doesn't matter what it is, what denomination. You know why it's declining today? Because they've made void the Word of God. There's not enough sons. There's a lot of slaves and vagabonds and orphans in the kingdom of God. There's not enough sons. Not enough people. See, sons know exactly who they are. Slaves, vagabonds, and orphans, they think they're in it. They think, all they think is, I have no choice. Mama's making me do it. Daddy made me do it. They serve God because of somebody else. They didn't didn't come to the place where I'm going to know you. And I'm going to know you hard, and I'm going to know you deep, and I'm going to know you real. I'm diving in. Listen, you invited me in. That was your first mistake. (laughs) Because I'm coming in strong. I'm coming in with my eyes wide open, and I have a lot of questions. And I'm full of passion. Mm. Sonship is deeper than the joining of a sperm and an egg. You've heard me say this before. 
Because that isn't the impetus of sonship. Just because I'm born of a man and a woman does not make me a son to the Father. In fact, I'll say this. Scripture says, first the natural, and then it's revealed in the Spirit. So just because you're born of a man and a woman does not make you a son or a daughter to that man or a woman. You become that through your obedience over time. I was born of a man who I did not meet until I was 19 years old. I never was his son. I've never been his son. Even though I was born of his loins. I've never been his son. My father, the man I'm a son to, was a son to, passed in 2013. But I have no blood of his in my veins. But he loved me, raised me, gave me everything that he had, withheld absolutely nothing from me. Anything, most everything that's good in me. Whatever it might be. Came from that man. And his willingness. He, he didn't do it all right. He wasn't always fair. In my world. But his passion and reason was always right. So simply being born does not make one a son. Neither in the natural. Nor in the spirit. If. I'd received Christ on that day, July the 8th, 1985, in that choir room, and I'd walked out of there, and I'd say, well, I received Christ. Now I'm a son. And I kept living like hell. And I kept making the same choices, going to the same places, doing the same things. Do you think sonship would have been revealed in that? See, sons have this... When I say sons, I'm talking about sons and daughters. They have this... Singular mindset, I'm going to honor the Father. Everything I do is going to honor the Father. And if it doesn't honor the Father, I'm going to bring it to His attention. I loved this story, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start. I'm not going to get through all this today, so let me wrap it up in a second. But when my kids were little, I would love it when they would come into mine and my wife's room. Usually it was in the evening before we were going to bed because they'd been carrying this weight all day long, and they couldn't wait until we woke up the next morning. But if they had done something wrong, there would, each of them would come at different times. Even if we didn't know, usually we did know, there's something not right here, they didn't know that, but usually we knew. But they would come into our room and they would come up beside our bed and they would lay on our bed and at different times they would be in tears. Ah, I made some bad choices today and I'm so sorry. And of course me and my wife are just taking it all in, yet yeah, tell us what it was, tell us what, <laughs> we never did that. We just let them pour out their heart. You know why they felt that way? Because they're sons, son and a daughter, son and daughters. And there was something in them that said, somehow we dishonored our parents today. And they knew exactly how they dishonored us. They're little. And even when they got older, they were teenagers. They would still do it. And they would be in tears. But you know what? They never, you know why they came into the room? And they would lay across our bed? Or they would pour their heart out to us? Because they knew it was a safe place. Because they knew when they came in and they poured their heart out, we weren't going to say, oh, you foul thing. To the pig pen with you. They knew we weren't going to cast them off because they knew that they had a seat at the table in our home. They knew that they were son, they were son and daughters. They knew it. But if they did not understand sonship, 
They would have withheld all that. They'd have kept it to themselves. I can't go into there to them because, man, I broke the law in my family's house. I can't go share with them. I'm terrified of what my father might do. Terrified of what my mother might do. They never had to feel that. Because they knew what it was to be a son. They didn't worry. We had this rule. They knew that if, if it needed to, there would be two pops. Before we ever had children, my wife and I came to this conclusion. If our kids do wrong, we, we believe in, believed in and believe in corporate, corporal punishment. I don't have a problem with popping the kids. I think the reason that some of them are in the position they're in is because they haven't been popped enough. But we made a rule. So pop your kid. No, I'm just kidding. But my wife and I had this rule in our house. It was we, no matter what they do, no matter how bad it is, there's nothing that requires more than two pops. It's two pops. Because when you get outside of that, you lose control. It's like, that's a bad one. You just keep going. I haven't exhausted my anger yet. It was two pops. Now, the kids will tell you that we didn't always live by that rule, but I'm going to tell you we did. It was just sometimes two pops felt like 20. But we lived by that rule. But they didn't come to us in fear, even with that. They didn't come to us in fear. Well, maybe Alex, because she took the paddle and hit it one time, threw it in the trash can. No, she didn't. None of them lived in fear. You know why? Because they were son, a son and daughters. And in that house, in our house, mine and my wife's word was like the word of the Lord. What we said, they put faith in. They did not want to deny dishonor hurt us this is what my mom and dad are doing and we're going to do make whatever decisions we can to do this with them and when we fail we're going to apologize to them Amen. so sonship is deeper than those two things I mentioned a moment ago just because you're born in the natural doesn't automatically make you a son but it is faith and trust believing I'm more than just a man or a woman that exists in the kingdom of God there's people that are listening to me right now. You're listening online. You might be wherever you might be listening to whatever. You might be down the road listening to what I'm telling you right now. And you're, you're happy with simply being in the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, I want to say this with as much love as I can muster. If, all, if you're simply happy with being in the kingdom of God, you are never going to know your full potential. You will never know the full reason why God created you in the first place. Because you weren't created by accident. You were sent on purpose. Let me go ahead and read this scripture before you all do anything back there. I want to read Matthew 15 real quick. It says, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said to Him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And they don't wash their hands when they eat. And He answered them, Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You're worried about them breaking tradition. I'm worried about the commandments of God you're breaking. He said, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, and I can tell you this, whoever reviles father and mother will die. 
And I'm talking about reviling father and mother. I'm talking about right now, let's talk about spiritual. I'm talking about revile the father. It's death. And death isn't because you stop breathing. It's because you stop living. There's people in this room right now, you're breathing, but you ain't living. You're in the kingdom, but you're simply passing through. You enjoy the streets, but you haven't been in the ice cream shop yet. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me? What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. He says this. He said, you got these, you got these youngins. You're telling all these kids. You're telling this generation that's coming up. Do it all for the church. Pay attention to the church. Give to the church. Do to the church. Don't pay attention to the Father. Just pay attention to the laws and the traditions. Focus on the legal parts. Focus on the legal parts. Focus on making sure you dot your I's and cross your T's. Don't worry about the relationship with the, with the Father, with the Mother. I'm transposing this spiritually. But don't worry about the, that relationship with the father and the mother. And he says this, and he said, because of that, for the sake of your tradition, because of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You've taken away the ability for the word of God to do its work because you don't let sons be sons. Because you entangle them in your laws. You entangle them in your rules. You entangle them in, the, in all this stuff in the, in the name of the church. And it isn't about the church. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the relationship that we have with him. Understanding relationship gives life to the Word of God. It demonstrates its power. I've got to read this too. I've got to read Matthew 16. Let me just, and I'm going to wrap it up, I promise, with this. We'll get back into this next Sunday. I hope you'll come. I hope everybody that's in here right now, you'll be back next Sunday. You'll bring somebody with you. Because we're going to keep diving into this sonship message. We're going to keep diving into this sonship word because before it's all said and done, I'm not going to stop talking until the first message is received. And we're in the first message right now. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, He said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. So Jesus answered, He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, who, there is no law that revealed this to you. There's no doctrine that revealed this to you. There's no denomination that revealed this to you. There's no religion that revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that word rock interpreted is revelation. You are Peter, and on the revelation you have, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because you are a son and you have all authority. Amen. Too much of the church walking around today, they have no authority, have no power, have nothing. They have ideas, they have thoughts, they have scriptures quoted, memorized. Say the same prayer. Every time they pray, it's the same prayer. They don't exhibit anything creative, anything new that Holy Spirit's speaking to them. What the Father say to you today? Well, you know, you got to, let me think about what He's saying to me today. Well, He's saying, I can tell you the Father's talking to you today. Kevin, Father's talking to you today, sir. Austin, Father's talking to you today. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you today. The Father's talking to you. Today. He's calling you to a place outside of just being, but to a place of becoming, becoming a son, becoming a daughter, becoming one who comes to the table. Not worried about whether or not food is going to be withdrawn, but excited about the food that's going to be given. 
So when he goes to Matthew 16 and he says, Peter, he said, who do men say that I am? Why did, why did, why did Christ ask Peter, who do men say that I am? Why did he do that? He would not have asked Peter, who are people saying that I am? He wouldn't have asked him if he didn't already know that Peter was out there talking. He already knew Peter was part of the conversation out there on block one, block two, over there by the tax collector's office, over there at the, the shore of the fishing boats. He knew Peter was out there and said, I want to ask you something, Peter, who are people saying that I am? I know you know because you're out there talking about it, but it, was, it wasn't in a way that was bad. Peter, I'm excited that there's something in you that wants to talk about how I've changed your life. So in your talking, in your exhibiting, in your demonstrating, what are people saying about me when you tell them how I've changed you? What are they saying? He's saying, man, it's amazing. Some say you're Elijah, some Jeremiah, you're, you're a prophet. They're, it's amazing what they're saying. People are getting it. And he said this, he said, Peter, who do you say I am, Peter? I say you are the one I've been telling all of them you are. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. That's who I'm telling them they are. You are. And he said, Peter, it's on that revelation. You know who your daddy is. And you know who you are. You know you're not just somebody that's part of the club, but you are a son in the family. And you got a revelation of sonship. You got a revelation of being a joint heir. You've got a revelation of spreading it and talking about it and not hiding it, taking the risk. And on that, on your courage, on your understanding of who you are, when people know who they are, it is on that revelation that I will build my entire kingdom. So I encourage you today, everybody in this room that's listening to me today, who do your neighbors say that he is? Who do your co-workers say that he is? Let them find their truth, not in billboards along the highway, not in picket signs by the courthouse. Let them find their truth in what they hear you say about him. Invite someone to come next week. And let's keep taking this journey. Bring somebody with you. Let's keep taking this journey. We'll put them somewhere. I want to look out across this congregation and not see one orphan. Not in your mind. Not in your belief. I want to look out over this congregation and not see one single person in fear. Man, I'm just... Oh, but you don't know what I did this past week. You don't know that I don't care that I don't know. In fact, I prefer it. Because I'd rather think of you with the passion you have to know Him. Not condemn you with a moment you tripped over your own right foot. Is anybody hearing me in this room this morning? Sons, arise.
sons arise. No matter what your level of understanding is, no matter what your history in the church is, no matter what you came from, there's things, there's places. Ah, Steve, stop talking. <laughs> I started to say something that was going to take me on a pathway that I would probably be on for a while. Would you rather be a son knowing you don't have to knock on the door to come in the house? Or just a neighbor? Just a member that has to get an invitation an RSVP before you can sit at the table. I went over to my kid's house the other day. I didn't knock. I never knocked. I hope everything's good. Because I don't knock. I know the code to their door. I just press the code and I go right on in. Hey! They come over my house. They don't even use the front door. I don't think they've ever come through the front door. They push the button, the garage door comes open, I hear the dogs bark, and I know somebody's here, and it's going to be one of my kids. You know why? That's what relationship looks like. Somebody might say, I want everyone, anybody coming to my house without ringing the doorbell. Well, I, you know, these are my kids. That's the way the Father feels about you and me. Come on in. The table's set. <laughs>